Happy Sabbath. It is good to see your smiling faces, and we're so glad that you could be here with us for worship. And as we dive into God's Word, we want to ask a blessing. After the sermon, we'll have our foot washing uh, service in the fellowship hall, and then we'll come back in here for communion. But before communion, we'll spend some time studying the Word of God. So let's pray and ask God's blessing to be with us. Father, we want to pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. God, we recognize our nothingness at this moment. That each of us are truly made just but of dust. But I thank you, God, that through Christ we can become children of God. And Lord, as we read your word, may the Holy Spirit who inspired your word, who wrote your word, may you speak to each of our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Today's message is called The Sabbath and the Cross. I recall eight or nine years ago a conversation that I had with a friend, and Peter, the conversation was at summer camp. I was working at Cahutta Springs Youth Camp in northern Georgia, and I remember my friend and I were talking about the busyness of life. We told each other, it seems like with the invention of smartphones and technology, was, which was supposed to give us more time, that in fact it seems like we have less time. The family dinner table, family vacation, the living room can turn any place into an office instantly because of smartphones. And with the invention of of, uh, phones and the internet, they almost seem like an umbilical cord that's connecting us to all this information that we're constantly thinking about. And it seems like there's no time for rest, sort of how our conversation went. And then my friend said this, and for whatever reason, this phrase stuck with me. My friend said, Jeff, you know what? Busyness ain't the business. And you'll have to uh, excuse our southern lingo. Maybe this is a little more proper. Busyness is not the business. A play there on words, just two letters exchanging but different words and what essentially my friend was saying was you know what busyness is not the business business busyness being busy is not what it's all about our lives should not be defined by busyness and I'm sure that you could agree that our lives are busy work is busy home is busy school is busy even church is busy these pastors can make you run around can't they Life is busy. And I've learned in life that to life's problems, God always has solutions. Amen? And I believe that God has a solution to this problem of busyness, this rat race that humanity has gotten themselves trapped into. And the solution to that busyness, I believe, is God's command to come apart and rest a while. To come and be, 
to stop, to pause, to relax, to rest, and spend time with God and with family. And the practical way that God provides that solution is found in the book of Exodus. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to be looking at a lot of Bible passages, and the majority of them, if not all of them, are on the screen. And because of time, we may not um, give time to look up each one, but we'll start here in Exodus, and I also have it here on the screen for those that do not have their own Bibles. There's also a pew Bible in front of you. And as we go through these texts, if you don't have time to look it up, it'll be on the screen. Write them down and look them up later. Exodus chapter 20. And we find there these commandments. And friends, how many commandments are there? Ten of them. Ten different laws that God has given us, which essentially could be described as loving God and loving people. And the fourth one is one that, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're familiar with the fourth commandment. Remember, verse 8, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But notice, friends, verse 11. Notice verse 11. Here is the purpose or the function or the reason behind the Sabbath. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here God gives us the primary function of the Sabbath. The primary function of the Sabbath is to be a memorial of creation. It is to remind us that God, the creator of the universe, made the world in six literal days. Sabbath is a memorial of creation. And this memorial of creation, this Sabbath, was made before sin. Think about that. It's not that God was, man, you know what? These human beings... They're going to be, you know, they're going to fall. They're going to be sinners. And I know they're going to be running around like chickens with their heads cut off. They're going to be so busy, I'm going to give them the Sabbath. Friends, the function of the Sabbath was pre-fall. This was before sin. The Sabbath is not a Jewish holiday. It's not only something that, that Jews celebrate or the, is, was for the Israelites. This was before all of that. The Sabbath was made for mankind. As Jesus says in Mark 2.27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for mankind and not mankind for the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. This is pre-fall, pre-Adam and Eve sinning. In a perfect world, God made the Sabbath because he wanted to spend time with his people. But there's also a secondary function of the Sabbath. The primary function of the Sabbath, the first function, is a memorial of creation to remind us that God created the world. But there's a second function of the Sabbath, and in fact, it enhances the first function. It doesn't take away from the primary function, but actually makes it even better. And the second function of the Sabbath is found in Deuteronomy, our scripture reading. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy literally means uh, the second rendering, the second rendering of the law. And in Deuteronomy 5, we find the only place in all of Scripture besides Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are listed and reviewed. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and you probably can't read that on the screen, but 
We're going to read just verse 15, very similar to Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are reviewed. But here, a secondary function is given of the Sabbath in verse 15. So verse 12 starts out, observe the Sabbath day. And then jumping down to verse 15, the Bible says, and remember that you were a slave in the land of where, everyone? Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The secondary function of the Sabbath was to remind the Israelites that God saved them from slavery in Egypt. The secondary function of the Sabbath is not a memorial of creation, but a memorial of redemption. That Jesus not only creates the world, but he also can recreate his image in our hearts. And that secondary function of the Sabbath, the memorial of redemption, enhances the first. Now you may say, Jeff, if you look there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, clearly, clearly God is talking to the Israelites. He's saying, remember, Israelites, you were a slave in Egypt and God brought you out. And Jeff, last time I checked, I live in Fallbrook, California, not in Egypt. God didn't bring me out of bondage. Oh, yes, he did. Notice what the Bible says here in John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a what of sin, friends? A slave of sin. Friends, there's a whole bunch of people in here that are in bondage. We are in bondage to sin. Now, how many of you have ever committed a sin? Friends, it better be every hand in this room. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're in bondage to sin, but we don't have to stay that way. Notice what Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 says. It says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin... Though you were in the past, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of another master, righteousness. We don't have to be slaves of sin. We do not have to be in bondage to sin. And in fact, our Savior Jesus is willing to set us free. And that is precisely what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, each one of us are in bondage to sin, but we don't have to stay there because Jesus is willing to set us free. And that walk of being set free is a day-to-day basis because sometimes my old man springs out of the grave and wants to be alive. And it's a daily process of crucifying self, saying no to your old ways and saying yes to Jesus. And so the Sabbath then, for each one of us, primary function, it's a memorial of creation. Each Sabbath day, we are given a chance to remember the birthday of the world. Sabbath is a weekly birthday. It's a weekly birthday of when God created the world. And the secondary function, the Sabbath is a memorial of redemption that Jesus is willing to set us free from the bondage of sin. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Friends, how many days did God take to create the world? Six. Six days. Genesis chapter 2. It's also uh, here on the screen. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. And the Bible reads this. 
Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were, what's that word? Finished. God created the world in six days and then it was finished. And after his work was finished, what did God do? Verse 2 and 3. It says, on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. Friends, you know what I love about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is unbiased. Unbiased? What do you mean? The Sabbath is unbiased. It's not selective. It's not exclusive. Because the Sabbath comes to you regardless of whether you want it to come to you. Every single week, Saturday pops out on your calendar and says, hey, come spend time with your creator and maker. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter what religion you are. Doesn't matter what background you have. Young and old alike, the Sabbath comes to each person. It's unbiased. And it cries out for us to spend time with our creator and our redeemer. And here in Genesis chapter 2, when God created the world in six days, he rested after the work that he had made. And if you look in verse 31, you will notice the Bible says that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Friends, does God mess up? Does he make mistakes? Absolutely not. God is perfect. And from his artist's hand, from his creative hand, everything that he made was good. God created a perfect world. It took him six days, and in that, those six days, God created a perfect world. It was a perfect work. He couldn't do anything to add to his creative work. He couldn't make it better, and that is why at the end of those six days, I can't make it any better than it is. It's perfect. I'm going to rest. And at the end of that perfect work, couldn't do anything else, so he stepped back and he rested. And friends, we find that pattern not only in the Sabbath as a memorial of creation, but also the Sabbath as a memorial of redemption. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke. Actually, John, just changed my mind. Look at that. John chapter 19, verse 30. John chapter 19 and verse 30. John chapter 19 and verse 30. And notice here in John chapter 19, verse 30, the Bible says that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, and what are those three words? It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now Matthew tells us that even though they offered him the sour wine, he didn't take it. That sour wine was to numb his pain, But friends, Jesus faced his pain. He faced the sins of the entire world on his shoulders. And it says here in John that at the end of his life, as he's there on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. There's an entire chapter in a book called Desire of Ages, which is a commentary on the life of Christ. And it has that same title, it is finished. Powerful words. Because in these words, Jesus 
is telling the entire world, I am finished with the work of redemption. He completed. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, friends, what day did Jesus die on? Friday, right? We call that Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. So what was happening in between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? Saturday, the Sabbath. Jesus was resting in the tomb. Now turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And we want to notice some details about when Jesus died. Luke chapter 23 and verse 44. It says, Now it was about the what hour? Sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the what hour? Ninth hour. Now, at what point in, or what time during the day was the sixth hour? Does anyone know? Noon. Right? The Jewish people in their mind would have counted about six hours after the sun came up, about 12 o'clock. So if that's the sixth hour, about noon, the ninth hour is three hours later, so about what time? 3 p.m. Jesus breathed his last at about 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Now, why is that significant? The reason, friends, that is significant is because the Passover lamb in the Old Testament was sacrificed at about 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Notice here what uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 6 says. It says, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover lamb at twilight. At the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you say, how in the world is that 3 p.m.? It's at twilight, the going down of the sun. In the Hebrew in which this was written, that word twilight literally means between the two evenings. Between the two evenings. Well, in a Jewish mind, what was the two evenings? Well, in their mind, the sun reached its highest point at 12 o'clock. And then it started to slowly go down from there. So in their mind, the first evening was about 12 o'clock, and that's when the sun began to go down, and the second evening was sunset. So in between the sun at its highest point and the sun setting was when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Don't believe me? Notice a commentary. It says this, between the evenings, that word twilight is a phrase of similar import, denoting the part of the day between the declining and setting sun or between noon and sunset. Friends, the Passover lamb was sacrificed at about 3 p.m. Why? So they had enough time to dress and prepare the lamb to be eaten at the evening feast when the sun went down. They were preparing that lamb's body essentially for the Sabbath. We need to prepare it and get it ready so that when the Sabbath comes, we can feast. And the exact same thing happened to Jesus' body. Go back with me to Luke chapter 23. Maybe you're already there. In Luke 23, notice in verse um, 53. In Luke 23, verse 53, it says, Then he, Joseph, took it down, the body of Jesus, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb, that was hewn out of the rock, which no one had ever lain before. 
Verse 54, that day was the preparation, that's Friday, and the Sabbath drew near. So right before the Sabbath, verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Notice verse 56, they returned and prepared spices and oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Jesus' body, the true Lamb of God, was prepared with spices and oils to prepare him to rest on the Sabbath in the grave. Notice here, Desire of Ages, page 756, says, when the loud cry, it is finished, from Jesus, came from the lips of Christ, the priests were officiating in the temple. It was the hour of the evening sacrifice. The lamb representing Christ had been brought to be slain. Do you see the irony, friends? That here the priests of the Jewish people, the Israelites, brought the Passover lamb to the temple to be slain at about 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon, and at that moment, the true lamb of God died on the cross. And you know what Desire of Ages goes on to say? It goes on to say that the lamb that was in the temple ended up escaping because the veil in the temple was torn in two. Amen? The reason that lamb escaped is because the true lamb of God, Jesus, died on a cross once and for all for our sins. You don't have to come to the church with a lamb, and we don't have to sacrifice it, praise God. We're not in the killing lamb business. Jesus died on a cross at about 3 p.m., and they prepared his body for the Sabbath. Friends, notice here what's going on, and I want to uh, share this, this next quote here. This will help explain It was in God's plan, follow on closely, it was in God's plan that the work which Christ had engaged to do should be completed on a Friday. It was in God's plan that it can be completed on a Friday and that on Sabbath he should rest in the tomb even as the Father and Son had rested after completing their creative work. The hour of Christ's apparent defeat was the hour of his victory, amen? The great plan devised before the foundation of the earth were laid and successfully carried out. Wow. It was God's plan that God, the Son of God, was to rest in the tomb. We talk a lot about Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but I say the day in between was just as important, where Jesus was resting in the grave. Why, why is that significant, Jeff? Why is it a big deal that Jesus was resting in the grave? I'll tell you why. Same reason at creation. At creation, in six days, God created a perfect work. He couldn't add a thing to it. He couldn't take anything away. It was a perfect work. And because it was a perfect work, he could step back and rest. Same thing at redemption. Jesus did a perfect work of salvation. Amen? There is nothing that Christ could have added to his work of salvation. It was a perfect work. There was nothing that he could add to it. There was nothing that he could take away. It was a perfect work of salvation. And because of that, friends, because it was a perfect work, because the cross of Christ was sufficient, he was able to take a step back and rest in the tomb for 24 hours. Wow. Friends, there is nothing that Jesus could have added to salvation, and there's nothing that you and I can add to our salvation. It is a perfect work. The cross of Christ is sufficient for each one here. Notice John 17, 4. Jesus is speaking and he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. 
Jesus finished his father's work. It was a perfect work. And when that work was completed on Friday afternoon at about 3 p.m. and they prepared his body for the grave, he rested in the grave. Ezekiel 20.12 says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Same thing in Exodus 31. The Sabbath is a sign between us and God that he sanctifies us. Friends, if I, let's say, maybe this pulpit or one of these chairs, and I say, chair, be holy, and suddenly, bam, it's a perfect chair. There's no blemishes. There's no marks. It's a holy chair. Could I do that, friends? Of course not. We can't make anything holy. Only God can make someone or something holy. And friends, God didn't make Monday holy. He didn't make Wednesday holy. He didn't make Sunday holy. He made Saturday holy, the seventh-day Sabbath, a day of worship and rest. And if God alone can make a day holy, he alone can make my heart holy. There's nothing that I can do to merit my salvation. Notice here an article called Through Faith Alone. The author writes, when men learn that they cannot earn righteousness by their own merit or works, and they look with firm and what type of reliance? Entire reliance upon Jesus as their only hope. I love this line. There will not be so much of self and so little of Jesus. Many are struggling in their own finite strength to win salvation by good works. Jesus, they think, will do some of the saving, but they must do the rest. They need to see by faith the righteousness of Christ as their only hope for time and for eternity. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, you may be thinking, Jeff, come on. It's not like I just sit here with my hands behind my back and says, well, Jesus does everything. Of course, there's a work to do. Brother Kelly, let's say that you give me a $100 bill. That's so nice of you. Now, we can make this actually come to fruition if you'd like, but uh, just kidding. So let's say that Brother Kelly gives me a $100 bill as a gift. It says, Pastor Jeff, here is a gift of $100. If I have my hands behind my back and I say, thank you for your gift, and it's sitting there right in front of my chest, and I just say, oh, thank you, yeah. You know, I don't have to do anything to receive your gift, nothing. Friends, I need to reach out and grab the gift, amen, and then go put it in the bank account for savings for Judas College, right? Amen. Friend, there's a part that we have to play for salvation. We need to reach out and grab that salvation. We need to, by faith, believe that it is true. Notice the same article, Through Faith Alone, what the Arthur writes. She writes, you are God's building. You cannot build yourself. There is a power outside of yourself that must do the building of the church, putting brick upon brick, always cooperating with the faculties and powers given of God to men, I love that line, but the Redeemer must find a home in his building. God works and man works. There needs to be a continual taking in of the gifts of God in order that there may be as a free giving out of these gifts. Amen? And friends, I have a question. Will the Redeemer find a home in your building? Will the Redeemer find a home in your heart? Because, friends, as I look at my heart, I realize that there's some rooms that he needs to clean out. There's some rooms in there that he needs to come in with his vacuum cleaner and do some cleaning. And he does the cleaning. But guess what? I have to invite him in the house. 
Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is not going to SWAT team bust into the door of your heart and say, hey, I'm here. Jesus is a gentleman. Forced love is not love at all. He's a gentleman, and he knocks. And our job is to go to the door and say, Jesus, come on in. When I was a kid, there were times, and this may come as a surprise to some of you, but there were times that I got spanked. I know, I know, I was a bad kid. There were times that I got spanked, and my dad um, would often do the spanking, and he wasn't afraid to take off the belt. There were times that I openly rebelled. Did that with all of us kids, and hopefully it turned out okay. There was one time that I'll never forget. It only worked once, but on that one time I'll never forget. I had forgotten what I had done, but I had clearly openly disobeyed my father. He had asked me something to do, and I had done it. And I knew what I had coming. I knew it was my fault. And I walked back to his bedroom with my head low, not daring to look into his eyes. I knew that I had done something wrong. And I knew why. He brought me into the room, and as he always did, explained to me why he felt the need to spank me. And I'm sitting there on the edge of the bed, and I'm waiting for that first hit of the belt. And with my ears, I hear the spanking, but I don't feel it. And I, at first, can't connect the two. But as I look around, I notice that my dad had taken off his belt, and he was spanking himself. And as a kid, I lost it. I lost it. I started weeping, Dad. Dad, what are you doing? Well, son, I'm taking your punishment for you. Dad, why? I messed up. Dad, it was my fault. I was the one that disobeyed you. Dad, I'm sorry. And he looked at me in the eye and said, Son, Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took my punishment. He said, Son, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says that the punishment that brought me peace was upon him. That by his wounds I am healed. That the sins that I deserved, he took. And so, son, because Jesus took my punishment this one time, I will take yours. And again, it only worked once, because probably the next time I would have said, all right, you take it, fine. (laughs) But that one time, friends, made an impact on my heart, because I understood the plan of salvation that Jesus is willing to take the punishment that I deserve. And friends, he's willing to take the punishment that you deserve. And the question that is on the table this morning is, will you let him into your building? Will you let him into your hearts? And that's what communion's all about. Is as we think about the death of Jesus on the cross, as we wash each other's feet following Christ's example there with his disciples in the upper room, we are telling Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you on the throne of my heart, and I want self on the cross. That is what communion is all about. And friends, if you want to allow Jesus into your building, 
would you simply just raise your hand? Amen. Let's have a prayer of commitment. Father, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you, Lord, that the Sabbath and the cross are connected, that the Sabbath is a memorial of our redemption. And Father, you saw the hands that were raised, and I pray that they would be true to their promise, that they would leave, Lord, after communion and go home and spend some time on their knees. And Father, as we spend time here together celebrating communion and your death on the cross, I pray that you would fill our hearts and minds with your Holy Spirit in your name. Amen, amen, amen. It is now time to wash each other's feet. Our fellowship hall has been prepared.